Over the break, my family, we went to go see the movie Encanto. Have you all seen it? I know it's on Disney Plus now. All right, some yeses, some noes. It's a really good movie. I really actually encourage you uh, to check it out. Uh, I think it's unique amongst uh, sort of the Disney movies that have come out recently. Um, I'm not going to go into too much detail, but just a little summary. Right? Encanto is about this family uh, called the Madrigals, the Madrigal family. Everyone in the family, they possess this rare, sort of unique gift, which they're able to use to sort of bless uh, their community. But pressure to be seen as perfect is sort of destroying the family from the inside out. It's sort of threatening to undo the town. Salvation comes to the family, and by extension the town, when members of the Madrigal family, they let their guards down. They quit pretending to be stronger than they actually are, and they step into the light, as it were, where they admit their weakness, where they're able to admit mistakes. It's at that moment that they experience sort of a breakthrough, where they sort of experience sort of salvation. What's more, in Canto, uh, or in Canto, it illustrates that the good life and the happy life, sort of this blessed life, it's not found when you step outside your commitments to family or community, but it's found squarely within them. And both of these ideas, that salvation is found when we let go of pretense and we step into the light, admit our weakness or mistakes. Salvation is found when we do that, and it's also found within sort of community. Both of those ideas are found here within this passage that Pete just read for us, right? First John 1, 5 to 10. Take a look at it again with me, beginning in verse 5. You can follow along with that handout that's there in your seat. Verse 5 reads, This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. This verse requires very little explanation, I think. Obviously, John is using figurative or metaphorical language here. When he says that God is light, he's not saying that God's a lamp or a candle or even the sun. That's not what that verse means, right? What John is saying is that God is good, that God is righteous. He tells the truth. Right? God is not evil or duplicitous. We might say he's not shady, right? That's the, that, that's the message, that's the, the point of verse 5, which brings us to verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we don't practice the truth. This verse requires maybe a little bit more explanation. Here's the gist of what John is saying. You can't walk in darkness and enjoy fellowship with God at the same time. If you want to be friends with God, you need to walk in the light because God is in the light. Sounds maybe cheesy, but maybe it'll stick. For you and God to be tight, you got to walk in the light. <laughs> All right, I'm a dad, that's a dad joke. <laughs> Some chuckles. For you and God to be tight, you got to walk in the light. But what does that mean? This is obviously a major theme of this passage, so it's critical you understand what it means to walk in the light. If we need to walk in the light in order to experience friendship and fellowship with God, what does that mean exactly? That brings us to verse number seven. If we walk in the light, as he in, is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of his son, Jesus, right, it cleanses us from all sin. 
This right here is the answer to that question. Look at it again. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Walking in the light means fellowshipping and following Jesus with other people. Walking in the light means forsaking a life of secrecy and autonomy and choosing instead a life of honesty and transparency that is made real in the context of Christian community. It's not just you and Jesus anymore. It's not you flying solo. Walking in the light means you becoming a part of an us, a part of a we, right? A community that is worshiping God and doing life together. That's what it means to walk in the light. But did you notice something odd in verse 7? As soon as these words leave John's mouth, as soon as these words sort of issue from his pen, John adds this, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, why does John do this? Why does he say this? Like almost in the same breath. What's the connection between walking in the light, which is following Jesus in community, and the blood of Jesus cleansing us from all sin? Like, how are those two things connected? Well, the only answer that makes any sense at all is this. When you step into the light and you start following Jesus with other people, your sins are going to be exposed. Your sinfulness is going to be exposed. See, all that stuff that you ignored or you kept hidden, or all that stuff that was glaring but you simply couldn't see, it's all going to come out in the light. It's all going to be revealed sort of as you start living your life with other people. See, in community, people are going to meet and experience the real you. The you that is beautiful and bears God's image to be sure, but also the you that is broken and carries lots of baggage, that carries a lot of hurt. All your sin and suffering, all your flaws and failures, they're all going to come into the light as you walk in the light. See, on your own, which is to say in the dark, you don't have to deal with any of this. It's pretty smooth sailing all by yourself. It's frictionless, right? But now that you're in the light, your mess is going to be exposed. But not only is this okay, this is actually for your good. Because you can't fix what you don't see. And you, and you can't heal what remains concealed. Because God is calling you into the light. He's calling you into family and community. He's doing this for your good. right, And for your restoration. He's doing this for your healing. For your shalom. Because in the light... It's not just that your sins get exposed. In the light, all of your sins, they encounter the radical love and forgiving grace of Jesus. See, this is not just like, hey, let's expose you and shame you. This is, no, let's get this out into the open so that you can be freed of your guilt and shame. So that you can experience liberation and newness of life. So that your sins can bump into the radical grace of Jesus. Jesus who died for you. Who bore, sin's punishment, who's, uh, who bore sin's punishment and shame so that you can experience reconciliation with God, so that you can experience the good life.
Right? All of this takes place in the light. As I said, it's super important for you to know what walking in the light means and, therefore, what it doesn't mean. In verses 8, 9, and 10, John makes plain that walking in the light does not mean living a sinless, perfect life. John says in verse 10, if we say we've not sinned, past tense, we make God a liar and his word is not in us. Right? God who says you are a sinner and you need Jesus to die for you. Right? If you say I've never sinned, you're making God a liar. Right? You're contradicting what he says. Walking in the light does not mean coming to Jesus with a perfect track record, if that, even if, like, if, as if that were even possible. Nor does it mean living a, a perfect, sinless life from here on out. Verse 8, John says, if we say we have no sin, meaning we have no sin now, or we have no sin anymore, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. We ought to underline this. Like, walking in the light does not mean, since becoming a Christian, you don't sin anymore. Anyone who says or thinks that is delusional, John says in verse 8. If you are a Christ follower, you are still a sinner who needs the healing and renewing grace of Jesus every single day. Walking in the light does not mean a life of sinless perfection. On the contrary, Walking in the light means no more pretension. It means no more pretending to be better than you actually are. No more play acting. It means no more hypocrisy. Right? Being one person over here and another person over there. Or vice versa. Right? One person over there and a different person here. It means that you're the same person in all times, in all places. It means now living a whole and integrated life. You're no longer like hiding in the shadows, but you're bringing your whole self into the open. This is who I am. You're coming clean, meaning no more bull, no more spin. I'm coming clean in order to be made clean. That's what walking in the light means. We say often here, Jesus loves you enough to meet you where you're at, and Jesus loves you enough not to leave you there. Both of those things are true, and we have to hold those two things together at the same time. Jesus loves you enough to meet you where you're at. Jesus does not say, hey, you, get your act together. Clean yourself up and then come see me. No. He says, come to me as you are. Come to me weak and wounded. Come to me sick and sore. Come to me burned out and brokenhearted. Come to me with your eyeballs up in sin. I will cleanse you, right? I will heal you. Not me, Jesus, right? This is what he says. I will cleanse you. I will heal you. I alone can give you rest. We come to him as we are. But if we come to him as we are, Jesus also promises not to leave us there. Jesus didn't just come to forgive your sins. Jesus came to heal you, to renew you, and to restore you, and some to make you fully human again. To give you life and life to the fullest. This is that something else, right, that we experience when we walk in the light. It's not just that our sins get exposed and forgiven. In the light, we are also exposed to a new and better way. 
right? It's not just that our sins are exposed. We ourselves are exposed to a new and better way of being in the world. We're walking in the light after all, not just sitting in it, which means we're on the move. We're growing. But this is a process. It's a walk. But it's a walk that happens with other people. It's not something that we do by ourselves because we were never meant to live our lives right, by ourselves. A couple of years ago, an RUF campus minister named Michael Goodlin, he introduced me to this model called the Jahari Window. It was developed by two American psychologists named Joseph and Harry. And when you combine their names Joe and Harry, you get Joe Harry or Johari, however you want to pronounce it. But this is their model. I like Johari. It sounds a little better than Johari, right? The principle behind the Johari window is that we experience love and intimacy, growth, and change in the light. As we enter into any relationship, there's things that I know, and there's also things that I don't know. And there's things that you know, and there's things that you don't know. And we can graph it like this, right? I know, I don't know, you know, you don't know. As I mentioned before, we experience growth and intimacy in the light. And the goal of our relationships, in some ways, our goal of community, is to bring more and more of, all, of our lives out of the shadows and into the light. And to shrink the, the other boxes, as it were. And the only way we can do that is in relationship with other people. For example, there are problem areas in my life that I don't see. Right? Uh, there's problems and idols and just lies that I believe that I just don't even, I'm not even aware that I'm doing that or believing that. But you all can see it plain as day. They're like, bro, it's like sort of that broccoli in our teeth. Like, I can't see it, but you all see it. We call these things blind spots. We all have them, right? We all have these things that, that are glaring, but we just don't notice. But the only way that we can deal with our blind spots, the only way we can get better and experience healing in those areas of our lives is if we enter into community with other people. If we're in a community where our blind spots can be exposed and our sins and shortcomings can encounter sort of the forgiving grace of Jesus. It's the only way we can, that's the only way we can deal with that. But not only do we have blind spots, we also carry secrets or we have facades. We can call these masks, right, that we wear. There are things about me, right, that you don't know. There are things that I struggle with that you don't know I struggle with. Not if I don't tell you. Right? There's hurt and abuse that I carry that you know nothing about if I don't tell you. Right? The only way that I'm going to experience healing and hope in those areas of my life is if I bring them into the light, if I share them with another person. If I can find people that I can be real with and tell my secrets to. It's the only way that I'm going to experience healing in those dimensions, right? And it's not just me, it's you too. As one counselor told me, you will never grow in an area of your life that is hidden from other people. You just won't. You're never going to grow in an area of your life that other people don't know about. We need to bring our secrets into the light. Uh, we need to come into a community where we can be fully known. Finally, there are things... In my life that I don't see or understand, there are things that you don't see or understand. But God sees it. Because right? he knows it all. God sees everything there is about us. The good and the bad. The known and the unknown to us. What's mysterious. 
And here's what's remarkable. Here's what's really good news. God sees it all, and he says yes to you. Right? He sees it all, and he says, yes, I'm for you. See, yours and my biggest fear, I bet, is that someone would see all of, well, just, my biggest fear is that someone would see all of me, warts and all, and, like, run away. Like, and, re- like, repulsed. Like, to, to, to see all of me and reject me. Like, that's a huge fear. I don't think I'm alone. But my greatest desire, and I bet your desire, too, is to be fully seen, to be fully known, and to be fully loved and embraced. That sounds like heaven. To be fully known and be fully loved. And that is what this community called the church is meant to be a foretaste of. Not heaven in its entirety, but a little glimpse, a little taste. A community where there's no more pretense. A community where we can come as we are. Where our sins are exposed and they encounter the forgiving grace of Jesus. A community where we can be fully seen and fully known and fully loved, where our blind spots are healed and our secrets are shared. We're loved, like forever. Like that's what this is meant to be a foretaste of. It's, it's, it's where you're meant to begin to sort of begin to experience the good life. But there's maybe some objections. These past few weeks, we've been making the case that in order to live the good life, it's not enough to know church is good and important. You actually need to put your knowledge into practice. You need to work this out. You need to walk this out. Practice means going to church on Sunday. It means joining corporate worship. And you can listen to last week's uh, message again if you need to. But practicing church means more than that, as this passage makes plain. It's possible for you to go to church on Sunday, sit in the back pew, sing songs, pray prayers, even take the Lord's Supper, and then slip out the back door, never taking the time to get to know other people, never allowing them the chance to get to know you. That, friends, is not walking in the light, right? That's checking a box. It's not walking in the light. Walking in the light involves corporate worship with other Christians, but it means sharing your life with them too in such a way that they get to know you and you get to know them, right? It's you doing life with other people. Now, already I anticipate some objections and some even arising within myself. The main one is I don't want my sins exposed. That sounds really scary and uncomfortable and painful. And I know the feeling. We all here want to be seen as good and beautiful. And our use of social media habituates us to putting our best foot forward. We practice that every time we we post on Instagram or we sort of create a profile page. We're, We're practicing, we're being habituated in projecting our best selves. We're practicing in some ways perfectionism. We craft our profile pages like we're building a personal brand. We only post the best picture uh, of ourselves, typically like from like this angle. You all know what I'm talking about. We hate it when someone captures a picture of us that is off-brand or catches us off-guard. We stare at the picture and we think, wait, is that what I really look like? Is that really me? 
And if it should ever get posted, we want to untag it and we sue to have it taken down. Why? Because we, we, we want to be seen as good. We want to be seen as beautiful. The problem is, what makes this sort of complicated is that we are good and beautiful because we're made in the image of a good and beautiful God, but we're also sinners. We're also broken. In the words of like one theologian, like we're glorious ruins, not unlike like the Colosseum, right? We've all done and do things that we regret and are ashamed of. And this is true of everyone here. It's true of everyone on this campus. It's true of everyone in the world, right? In his goodness, Jesus draws near to us and he tells us to bring our ugliness to the surface so that we can experience forgiveness, liberation from our shame and newness of life. It's kind of like spiritual chemotherapy. Jesus wanting to expose our cancer called sin to the light of his love so that we can experience healing and new life. Jesus doesn't do this because he's a sadomasochist. He does this because he's good, because he loves us, because he wants our good. But friends, there is real radical evil in the world. And there are some who will take this fact of life, that you are a sinner, and they will use that truth as a weapon to hurt you and to keep you in the closet of your shame, to isolate you from other people. They will weaponize your brokenness and they will threaten to expose you or to expose maybe your secrets or to expose, right, like your sinfulness to keep you in a prison of fear. I'm not joking. As I was writing this message, this literally happened to me. I'm typing on my computer and in my inbox comes this email from some stranger named Jay Crawford, which is a fake name, but this email begins this way. And I'm quoting here. It says, I regularly observe humans when they have no idea that someone is watching them. At this point, the true nature of an individual turns up, and commonly, it's really hideous. He writes, getting access to other people's devices is my job. I see a lot. But even for me, you are a fascinating specimen. It goes on. My heart starts like racing. What is that? So-called Jay goes on to demand $1,290 in Bitcoin. (laughs) But he writes, I promise no one will ever know your dirty little secrets if I get my money. But if you leave me annoyed, in in 82 hours, everybody that you communicate will watch a fascinating clip of you in the title role, and the entire internet will see you as well. This is extortion. Right, plain and simple. But the reason why scams like this work and the reason why our heart starts racing when we see it is because we all know. We all know. Right? That there are things that we've done in our lives that we're not proud of. That there are things in our life that we're ashamed of and maybe this Jay Crawford has access to it. Might expose it. This fear that if the truth comes out, we're going to be seen as ugly and unlovable. Trolls like Jay exploit this. In our cancer, in our cancel culture, it exacerbates it. Cancel culture is a modern day form of Phariseeism. 
Pharisees were contemporaries of Jesus. They were religiously zealous. They were perfectionistic. They had an air of superiority. They were harsh in their treatment and judgment of other people. And ultimately, they were hypocrites because they could see splinters in the eyes of other people, but they couldn't notice the log in their own. Now, Jesus aimed some of his harshest criticism at the Pharisees, and I think he would do the same today, right? Leveling it against sort of cancel culture. Because here's the thing. As we do life together, if we step into the light and we begin to, like, come as we are, it's inevitable that we are going to say and do some things that are hurtful and harmful. Not on purpose. It's just going to happen. Inevitably, we are going to make mistakes. We are... As we do this sort of dance called life and community, we will step on people's toes. It's going to happen. We're going to have to say sorry, and we're going to have to seek forgiveness. But rather than seeing these as opportunities for growth, and rather than seeing these as opportunities for grace, cancel culture, it resorts to to punishment and shame. It calls people out rather than calling them in. It exposes sin It exposes mistakes, not to heal, but to hurt, to punish, to silence. It drives people into secrecy and hiding, and it annihilates trust and good faith. It is antithetical to the way of Jesus, and it is antithetical to the kind of community that he wants us to indwell. There's no room for it in Christian community. Absolutely none. What Jesus is calling you to is a countercultural way of life. He's calling you to be an outpost of goodness and grace in a culture of retribution and shame. He's calling you to be an outpost of of truth and love in a culture of outrage and cancellation. And this is going to take courage. To use the words of Teddy Roosevelt, it's going to require some daring greatly. In a famous 1910 speech, he said, It's not the critic who counts. It's not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done better. No, the credit belongs to the man who's in the arena. I want you all to hear who's in the light. The one who strives valiantly, who errs and comes up short again and again because there's no effort without error or shortcoming. I think Jesus would add an amen to most of that speech. But he would up up sort of Roosevelt's ante. Because the reward for those who brave the arena, the reward for those who step into the light, it's more than just high achievement. If you do this, you get the good life. If you're willing to do this, you get life as it was meant to be lived. And to live this kind of life, you don't need to be perfect, but you do need to let go of pretense. You need to come as you are, and you need to encounter a God who will not leave you there. This takes courage. But walking in the light also requires grace. It takes grace. See, Jesus presupposes that there is sin and suffering in the church. In the church, there are wounded people wounding others. There's people like you. Verses 8, 9, and 10 in our passage make that clear as day. There's sin in the church. There's suffering in the church. It's not unlike a hospital. In UVM Medical Center, you're going to find a bunch of broken people. You're going to find a bunch of sickness and disease. People who are dying. But that's not all you're going to find at UVM's medical center. In the same place, you're also going to encounter people who are being made whole again. 
You're going to encounter people being cured of their illness. You're going to find people who are getting a new lease on life. People encountering hope. That's there too. That exists in the church. All of that exists in the church. Walking in the light requires bravery, but it also requires grace. A grace that can desire perfection, but is patient and okay with a painful and sometimes bloody process. Grace that makes room for others, even as you ask and expect them to make room for you. Grace, friends, to say sorry when we hurt other people, which we will. And grace to show forgiveness when others hurt us, which they will. Finally, walking in the light takes a sense of humor. See, as we walk in the light, our sins, past, present, and future, are going to be exposed. And sometimes the best thing that we can do is just laugh at them. Like, wow, that was really stupid. I can't believe I did that. That was foolish. I'm sorry. I'm not saying we don't take sin seriously. I'm simply saying that we ought to take the the grace of Jesus and the forgiveness of Jesus more serious still. A pastor named Jack Miller used to say, cheer up. You are far worse than you think you are. And you're a lot more loved than you imagined. Cheer up. right? You're worse than you think you are. You're worse than the Jay Crawfords of the world think you are. So cheer up. You're more loved than you imagined. You're more loved than you dreamed. It's because that's true that we can laugh, that we can laugh in the face of extortion. We can laugh when people try to use our sin to shame us. It's like, you think I'm bad? You don't know the half of it. We can laugh when people try to manipulate or cancel us or sort of keep us crouching in the shadows. Laugh. Why? Because Jesus sees it all. And he loves you. And there's nothing that anyone could ever do to take that away from you. Be of good cheer. Be strong and courageous. Be gracious and kind and have a sense of humor. Because there's nothing that you know, nothing that anyone else knows that God already doesn't. He sees it all and he says yes to you. I'll conclude with this little story. Okay? For some, public speaking is their greatest fear. For me, it's public dancing. <laughs> Freaks me out. A couple of years ago, my absolute worst nightmare, I mean absolute worst nightmare, it came true. Every August, some of the best street performers in the world, they all descend on Burlington, Vermont, for what's called the Festival of Fools. I think this was like 2018. Megan, Will, and I were walking up and down Church Street. We were admiring the performers, sort of having a pleasant afternoon. We get to the top of the block, right there sort of by the church, sort of where the Christmas tree is right now. We stop there to sort of watch the next show. It's a bunch of break dancers, like from Philadelphia. They turn up the music, they start dancing around, like getting the crowd all fired up, and then they start going into the crowd and they start pulling people and dragging them into the center. I'm laughing, I was like, oh, that, look at that guy, look at that girl, they're all going. Then they grab me, and I'm pulled into the center ring, and all eyes are on me as this music is blaring, and these people are dancing, it's like, what are they going to make us do? My worst nightmare is about to come true, but it hadn't even started yet. The whole reason why we're brought into the circle was because we're going to engage some sort of dance-off, right? 
they put on this music, they're going to do all these dance moves, and we're supposed to, like, it's a battle, it's like a dance battle, and we're supposed to beat these amazing, like, street performers, these amazing break dancers with, like, impromptu moves of our own. I'm mortified, like, I'm dying inside, like, this can't be happening, but it is. I'm in this ring, all eyes are on me, and they're pointing, and they're laughing. It's my worst nightmare. I'm doing my my best to not be the biggest fool in the festival of fools, but there's like there's I'm, there's no way I'm gonna get out of this like without a scratch. When it's all over, and I make my way back to my family, Megan and Willa and everyone around them they're laughing hysterically. You look so ridiculous, Megan says to me. Well, I knew that. <laughs> You're not a very good dancer, Willa says. Well. <laughs> I knew that too. (laughs) But then they hug me and they kiss me on the cheek. They tell me, Dad, John, I'm really proud of you for going out there. And they tell me that they love me. Y'all, like that August afternoon, I survived like my worst nightmare. Like it came true. Like I was exposed for the horrible dancer. That I am. For the fool that I am. But I, I came out not just laughed at, but also laughing. Like, I came out surrounded by a community. And also the ones that I love. This, I think, is kind of a snapshot of the good life. A life that has lived in the light. Like, as this story shows, like, the light can sting a little bit. Like, I'm not going to say that that, it doesn't. It does. Like, sometimes the light stings a little bit. But it won't kill you. It'll save you. It'll free you up. It'll make it easy for you to not take life so seriously. Not take yourself so seriously, but to take redemption really seriously. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be some like all-star break dancer from Philadelphia. You can come as you are. You can come like I did into that room. You can be laughed at and you can laugh along. You can be cured of your worst nightmare. You can be reminded of how loved you are. To be seen as a fool and also be embraced. Because that's not just my story. It really is meant to be your story too. It's available to all who join themselves to Jesus and join themselves to his church and follow him in community who walk in the light. Because if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, it cleanses us from all sin. Let's pray.